Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with Preston Brown. He's an entrepreneur with 18 automated successful companies. His focus is on economic psychology and business automation at scale. Welcome to the show, Preston. Thanks for having me, Flavia. It's great to have you. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. I mean, that's your bio. That's what you work on right now. You are an entrepreneur with not just one, two, three, four, five companies, but 18 automated, very successful companies. How did you get there from where you started? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Everybody judges a story by the ending and they normally never hear the beginning. They'll go look at an entrepreneur and say, oh, you're doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. You got lucky or, you know, you're luck. You had rich parents or something like that. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, to give you the short version of the story, I grew up broke in a little trailer park in Canyoteo, Texas. My dad, probably like a lot of folks out there, my parents were my main influence. My dad wanted to open a business. He wanted to be successful. He wanted to have that American dream. And he never mastered billing, charging, even collecting what he was owed. But man, did he know how to work. And he worked, went to work, months went by. And eventually that, that fight happened as the money ran out. Mom told him, go collect what you're owed or you're not a man. Don't come home. I got to be the charity piece and got to ride with dad when he went up to the guy's house, the main guy that he'd done a lot of business with. And this guy knew exactly who my dad was, knew where he was coming from, knew how to manipulate. He took advantage. I think my dad compromised and maybe got a few hundred bucks when he was owed thousands. Back in, thousands meant something back in the 80s, right? And I remember riding home with my dad, who was already silent and stoic, but wouldn't say a word. Tears coming down his eyes. And I rode home with a box of ramen noodles on my lap. And it was, it was a moment where I knew that I never wanted to be manipulated with money. I didn't care if I had to be hated, feared, loved. I wanted to go find a way for money not to be my God, the way it had become my father's on that day. And, and it drove me to go learn business and learn economics and learn people and, and how to generate wealth so that I could have a good life in an economy that really is, is, is a bit of a sharp pit. It, it rewards some of that. And here you are today. So tell us a little bit, what does your daily work life look like now? Like when you... It's one thing to say, I operate or own 18 automated businesses. But if someone was just to peek into your life day to day, what does your work life look like? What do you do day to day? A lot of what I'm doing now is coaching. I just turned 40 last June. And one of my friends rented an island in the Maltese where we celebrated my birthday. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, I don't know if this gets better. I don't need another business. I don't need this. And so now most of my day is spent coaching entrepreneurs, doing podcasts, teaching the formulas I have that have helped me scale my companies. My companies are automated. I have a CEO. and Most people that you talk to would say they have a CEO, have 10 employees. And you ask them, you're like, well, doesn't CEO mean chief executive officer? Like, how do you have a chief executive officer for 10 employees? Which ones of those 10 are executives? And But your CEO, when you hire them, they're your replacement. I mean, they're there to coordinate that 
COO, the operations officer, the you know investment officer, the technology officer, the financial officer. I mean, all of these different folks are run by that CEO whose main job is to think. So my day doesn't really do that much with my business. I spend my day investing or coaching. And did you have to find 18 CEOs or does your CEO help you run the 18 companies? So they're all 18 are outside of my coaching company, which I guess is not vertically and horizontally aligned. I've got a coaching and, and travel agency called Your Best Life, which we go travel the world. That's the coaching company. But everything else is real estate related. I, I have a production home building, property management. I have a brokerage, a title company. We have materials distribution. I mean, you name it. We're involved in and around the real estate industry. So we're both vertically and horizontally integrated. So with that, we can treat every business, even though it's a business, maybe for legal purposes, liability purposes, financial purposes, taxation purposes, uh, we treat them almost like departments. So I'm able to utilize my CEO to run my operations officer and all of the directors of operations over each different respective company. That's great because then that lets you, uh, you know, in a way, these are all like sister companies, right? Or brother companies are all related. So for you, when you coach, you have a set system and it's seven steps long. And I love that number. Seven's one of my lucky numbers. So if you don't mind, give us a little bit of insight into that seven method system and how it plays into what you do and how you've built your success. So the the seven, I call it the seven stages of entrepreneurship. That's my way of developing a map. It's my way of finding out where you're at, what you need to be doing, and what are the problems that you need to solve to elevate to the next level. A lot of my coaching is, or all of my coaching is formula driven because success is a science. There's no secrets in success. It's just a science. And if you're missing a, a single line of code, the program's not going to run right. So you, you have to have a whole science. So to kind of go through the, what I'll do, because I don't think we have that long in this podcast, is I'll have my CEO email you all of the documents and anybody that wants it can download it from you or get it from the podcast or put it in the notes. But the seven stages, I mean, it's one of the most critical things an entrepreneur needs to know. First stage, it starts at what we call a entrepreneur or a non-start, somebody who hasn't started that needs to figure out how to solve a mindset issue, how to calculate that risk and say, hey, you know what? It may not be the right time, but it's also not the wrong time. There's never a right time. There's never a wrong time. It's time to get in now. And so they overcome that mindset issue. It's the main thing they need to solve. And that takes them to the next level, which is a startup. The startup, he's got a different problem. Most businesses die in the startup phase, okay? And so when you're a startup, you have to learn what's, I call it a litmus test for business. To be a business, you have to pass through three phases. It must be productive, it must be profitable, and it must be your purpose. Well, the problem in it being your purpose is the sale of your product is the solution to your customer's problem. So you need to align that purpose in a way where it communicates to your customer I can solve your problem. That's how you're going to make sales. So you really have to get in depth into the psychology of your customer, the needs of your customer, identify who your customer is, what are their pain points, what are their pleasure points, how do they communicate, have everything about them and, and figure out who you're selling this solution to. And that once you've got that, you graduate to the next phase, which I call operational entrepreneur, or you can call it slave labor if you want, because this is the part where you've become exceptional enough to go and identify this customer, but you don't know that being exceptional and being optimized are opposite energies that may be both necessary in a business, but exceptional gets you in and optimization gets you great. So no different than Pavlov's dogs. Like if you ring the bell, they keep coming, right? 
once we've gotten exceptional and rewarded for it, we go either open another department or open another business and everything depends on us. It's like fighting a war from two sides. And so this exceptional energy gets you into a growth, 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 and all of a sudden you're getting pulled in too many directions. And that's when you hit this operational entrepreneur level where you're kind of managing by crisis, but you've grown, you're making money, you're succeeding. And this is the phase where you have to learn to get to the next level that it is not a spectator sport. It is a team sport. It's time to get a team around you. You need systems, you need processes, you need people, and, and you got to start trusting somebody, right? And so getting you there, and once we've scaled your team up to the point, you have that director of operations, a good, you know, I don't call them managers, I call them measurers, a good measurer that can lead and guide your team. Then you've entered the phase of entrepreneur, which is the first time really that where your business has become an asset. Entrepreneur is great. The problem is you have generally, if you've gone fast, the same revenue as the operational entrepreneur. And so you just got a pay cut, but you have a team. So you have an asset, but you have an asset that's not making you the money you had. So you want to make it a quick phase. You have to learn the art of scaling and to get into the next phase of business, which is called operational megapreneur. So guess what? You're back in again. You, you have to get exceptional again, but it's all around growth. You realize, wow, well, to get into entrepreneur, I scaled the size of my team, which gives me new capacity. It gives me new opportunities for throughput, increased sales, et cetera. Now I can take this to a new level by increasing sales. So I need to go figure out cost of customer acquisition and increase my sales and, and marketing to get more customers. Then I need to scale brand. When you scale brand, you can increase your margin per customer. Once you've increased your margin per customer, you go back to increasing team. Then you increase sales. And so you, nobody can do all things at the same time. You have to know which phase of scaling you're in. And you do this and you rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until you start finding where there's diminishing returns. And you start noticing, well, shoot, I scaled and we grew, but maybe revenue grew, but margins didn't grow. And that's when you start finding leaky buckets. And those leaky buckets tell you, hey, it's time. I need to go get that CFO. I need to get that high-level management. These are not normally people you're promoting. I need to get that CFO, that COO, that CEO. If you're in the technology business, you might need a CTO or a chief technology officer. In the investment business, CIO, chief investment officer. Whatever your needs are, you need to get that professional management team. And now you're here. You've made it. You're the entrepreneur. You're successful. And you find you have a very new problem. And and to solve this one, you get into the last phase, entrepreneurship. You find out your problem in Megapreneur, where you have an asset. You're generally making millions of dollars, normally seven, eight, nine-figure companies. But you have a new business partner. It's called the IRS. He's got his hands in your pocket. He doesn't like you making any money, and he likes to regulate the heck out of it. And so now you need to go and learn that, well, the tax laws are there so that politicians can help all of their rich friends that got them elected to get tax breaks. And you learn how to become what's called an investor philanthropist taking your profits and earnings and investing it in the needs that Congress and the Senate has to get out of paying taxes while still making returns. And you become that investor and that mega entrepreneur without having all of your money taxed away. Those are the seven stages of entrepreneurship. They all have very different problems, very different risks, very different tangents that entrepreneurs go off on. And, and that's generally where I'll start somebody before I'll get them into a formula for Here's how you run your business. Here's how you identify problems. We need to build the map. Where are you? Where do you want to be? And how do we get you there? And for your students that you coach, when they come to you for the first time, what is the most common stage that your students come to you in? Oh, gosh. I've got students in, in pretty much every spectrum. They generally stop needing you to coach them when, when they get into the higher net worth bracket. And that's, that's when they're having you coach their management team. Some of my clients, I coach their management teams. And some of my clients, I coach the clients. 
most of my clients that I coach, I would say they're an operational megapreneur or operational entrepreneur, or they're stuck in that entrepreneur phase, like, like one of those three, okay? Because if you stay an entrepreneur for too long, you build a culture of laziness because you've never jumped into scale. So your, your team starts becoming happy with stagnation. And so you got to go in and completely restructure culture. So I get a lot of those. I get a lot of the entrepreneurs. They're kind of the low-level entrepreneurs. It's begun to be an asset, but it's not where it needs to be. I get a lot of the operational entrepreneurs. They're like, I have six companies. And I'm like, oh, so it's like being a shitty parent. So you had more kids. How are we going to solve for this, right? And then I get a lot of the operational megapreneurs and them. It's, it's all like, when do I move to scaling this way or scaling that way? Or what are some great marketing strategies? Or how do you measure this? Or how do you start bringing on the high-level leadership team that's going to be running your company. So most of mine are operational entrepreneur, 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 or operational entrepreneur, to answer your question. And which is your favorite stage to help lead someone through? Like of all the stages, you help people at all the stages eventually or at some point, but which one is the one that just is the most kind of fun for you to attack and to help someone and hold their hand and take them through it? Well, it's probably the operational entrepreneur because that's where you see them really getting the rewards. You see them starting to have that ability to take two weeks off. And their team's good enough that the company's not going to fall apart in two weeks or a month. You see them start having the ability to, wow, I went out and I bought a Ferrari or I bought a McLaren. Or you know what? I decided to fly my family private. And they get to start the beginning of living the life they saw on TV as a kid. Instead of having to watch it, they're getting to do it. And their, their families are getting the benefits. So it's the first real phase of entrepreneurship where you feel successful. But I mean, when you're seeing people get rewarded for the work that they're in, that's fun for me. Why do you think there's so many entrepreneurs? Like, why are there so many people that are, they have an employer and they are an employee and they have their job that they go to during the hours they've been assigned and they have this dream. Do you think it's because they just don't have enough savings or capital or is it something more internal? What do you think is that wall that keeps someone stuck at a job that they don't want anymore, but they're just not flipping the switch to turning themselves into an entrepreneur, taking that journey. Well, and let me let me kill the capital argument real quick. It's, it's never capital. You do not need money to start a business. You do not need money to acquire a business. I've had businesses I bought that I got paid to take. They were that bad. And in fact, my largest company, a production home building, I got paid 50 grand to take four years ago. And we did 80 million just about in revenue this last year. So with substantial margins, and there's no need for money to get into a business. There's need for value. Value creates money. Money does not create value. Okay, it's not the money. It's fear, and it's also poor information. Fear is is an acronym, and everybody's seen this on social media, but it's worth repeating: false evidence appearing real. Okay, and then there's also poor information. I mean, people will tell you, "Oh, it's a bad economy. Don't start a business." That's such a load of crap. I mean, it's BS. You know, I started my travel agency during COVID. I started my real estate company in 2008, you know, in in the biggest real estate downturn. Like a recession is a gift. It's when everybody's complaining and complaints are feedback. And if you want to solve the problem better than anybody else on the planet, you need to have the most information and you get that in a recession. There's never a bad time to start and people are given bad information. I mean, how many times have you heard this stupid statement? The customer is always right. That is literally the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. I mean, the customer is not always right, or you'd be doing it for free. You'd be warranting it forever. And the sales process could be abusive. I mean, people bully entrepreneurs these days. The customer 
is only more right than your competitor's customer, but never more right than the staff or the company. I would never put a customer above a team member. Yet I hear people say all the time, the customer's always right. It's fundamentally dishonest. So people get bad information and they're in fear. I mean, the fact is anyone that gets the science of business, takes these formulas and uses them can be successful. And the level of success is whatever you choose. It's however long you're going to take it. I mean, is it an easy process to go out and get rich? No, it's going to take you, depending on the industry and the business that you're in, three to 10 years. But I would submit that three to 10 years compared to a 40-year job is a definitely a wonderful and doable get-rich-quick scheme. I think people, they sit in that job, which is the bribe they took to get them to give up on their dreams, only because they don't realize that in three to 10 years, they could have the success, freedom, and life that they dream about. And everybody out there is filling them with so much misinformation about what it takes that they're terrified. It's fear. And that's the what people need to get over to sort of jump in and start. But then when you get to that scaling, something you said stood out to me. And you said, when you start to scale, you have to learn to trust someone else. You know, in your organization, you have to sort of hand over the wheel. And trust is hard, right? It's hard especially for someone who builds a business single-handedly and it's just been them and they've worn every hat in their company to then bring in someone else and to, to have that trust must be really hard. How do you get people through that, that psychological bur- you know, hurdle? Well, you get them to trust in facts, okay? I don't worry about people trusting people because people deserve the trust that they earn. And that's just a fair statement. I worry about people trusting their KPIs, their key performance indicators. You know, if I give you a job description, and I've seen some of these job descriptions, they're hilarious. They're like 30 pages. I wondered to myself, has anybody ever read it? My CEO has a 10 bullet point job description of deliverables that she needs to give me. Okay. And some of them are are high level deliverables where she has to go and measure and manage the CFO, all the different management team members and and deliver reports and all that. But Within 10 bullet points, I can go through her entire job description. And within 10 bullet points, I can go through every job description of my organization. Every single one has 10 or less bullet points. Well, all of those job descriptions track directly to key performance indicators that should be measured frequently, depending on how fast you're going, weekly or monthly. And you don't have to trust people. You can trust results. I mean, stop hiring people to manage your company and start hiring people to measure. You know, the idea of the word manager is this presupposition that somebody's better than somebody else. And that's just fundamentally untrue. Like the idea that somebody might be more productive than somebody else and better at measuring than somebody else is fine, but somebody being actually better, no. I hire measurers, not managers, and the measurements track to the KPIs. And we've been able to trust math and science forever. So if you can trust a KPI and you can trust the trends of what that person's behavior is delivering on, then you can trust them eventually. Does that answer the question? Yeah, that's great. It makes a lot of sense. So one more thing, because there's so many different ways to get into business, right? You can create a business from scratch, something that you come up with, or it's from day one, your baby. You can also buy an existing business, whether that business is doing well or or needs someone to come in and, and bring it to what it should be. There's value add there for existing businesses. And then there's also the sort of business in a box where you've just become a franchisee and that's a different way to be in business where you're, you're essentially not creating a business, but you are operating a business that somebody else created at some point and you just sort of follow in their footsteps. 
Of those three, do you find that you tend to like one more than the other for someone who's out there thinking, hey, I want to be a business owner. I want to be an entrepreneur. Which of these directions should I look at and go into? So, I mean, there's no wrong way, okay? There's no wrong way. But I would definitely go back to the litmus test we talked about, productivity, profitability, purpose, right? So you have to make sure that you're into alignment with those three things for whatever you're going to start. I think the franchise model is a great model for somebody who's not business-oriented. They want a job, but they want to be an entrepreneur, right? Because like, that, that, that franchise is a business in a box. They're going to control your behaviors. They're going to control a lot of what you do. If you're not savvy or you just have zero trust for yourself, but you have enough money to get in a franchise and it's one that's trended success, then your likelihood of succeeding is very high. Acquiring a business, oh gosh, it's, it's, I mean, it's absolutely a great time for that. Like we, we're growing up in, in the entitlement generation right now where we've convinced all of our kids to go and be tech entrepreneurs and get a college degree and not go into entrepreneurship. Well, the great generations of the past, they're the entrepreneurs. And right now they're aging out. And there's a statistic that I think it's 84, it might be 85% of businesses die with the owner. Well, how many of them would love to actually sell their business? And how many of them would actually sell it for free just to see it carry on, to see it taking over because they're 60, 70, 80, they've made their money, they have no information on how to sell a company and they see you coming along and they're like, oh, wow, you know what? At least the name would continue, okay? And so buying a business as you have an entire generation of entrepreneurs retiring right now, they're at that age and they need to get rid of their businesses is a great way to go get in and you could either finance from them or you could get a very low price and then startups startups are I mean I like startups I like all three frankly I've never done a franchise but I understand the need for it with some but startups are fun because when you find a problem you can solve better than anyone else I mean doing a startup you know I've heard people say you should never do a startup it takes you 7 years to get into business bullshit I've started companies and they've been industry leading in 24 months so, I mean, that's, that's a crock. You just have to have a better idea. And so startups are all about solving the problem better than anyone else. It's a very pioneering side of the entrepreneurship world. And so if that resonates with you, go do that. And franchises, if, if you want somebody else to run the business and run you, but you're okay with that and just gets you in, do that. You might have to own two, three, or four franchises before you have the revenue and margins available to have that professional management team and get you out of the day-to-day because there are a lot of franchises that are basically a job, right? But I mean, I think right now the easiest one is probably acquiring business from somebody setting it down, but they're all good. There's nothing wrong. It's just get into business. Well, the next question is a little bit more about lifestyle because this podcast really focuses on let's be successful, but let's not lose our sanity, right? And you are definitely someone that if you let yourself, you'd be pulled in a lot of different directions. And um, I'm sure you could work a 24-hour workday if you, if you let yourself, right? Because there's always something to do, something to, to work on in your business. So how do you keep yourself sane and how do you keep your life balanced? I focus on four things. Life has four cores, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And if you imagine them like holding up four fingers on your hand, they may not be the same, but they're tethered to one another. So now if you imagine your hand lifting up, progress equals happiness. That hand is elevated, right? Well, where is there an anchor? Is your biggest anchor in faith and family and fitness or in finance? Like if you have stage four cancer, you're probably not worried about your business. If you're going through a divorce, you're probably not going to be affected in your business. If your business is failing, you're probably not going to have that faith, that certainty, that ability to step up and deliver because you're watching yourself struggle. So I go and I always look at 
where is the worst, most negatively impacted area of my life? And, and if it's fitness, then I'm going to put my time and focus there. And if it's family, then I'm going to go and say, hey, you know, baby, let's go do a dance class. Like, let's go on a date night. Let's go figure this out. Like, I need to get to know you again. Spend more time with my kiddos. And I, I always look. And what's interesting is if, if you're always watching, you're watching faith, which by faith, I don't mean religion, even though that's fine, too. Like, I'm talking like your certainty, your belief in yourself, that self-esteem, right? That's faith. And so if I'm looking at faith, family, fitness, finance, and I'm constantly looking at all four of these things, what happens is I'm improving, I'm improving, I'm improving. I mean, I'm 40 years old and I can look at pictures of myself when I was 20. I look better now. I may have a few more gray hairs, but I've also got six pack of abs, which at 20, I had a beer gut. So I could kick my 20 year old self's butt. Like, so I'm better at 40 than I was at 20. We want to age like wine, right? And so if you're looking at those four cores and you're thinking, where is my anchor today? You're going to constantly elevate and your life's going to constantly improve. I wish we could speak for hours. And I know our listeners would want to listen to more because it's, it's very motivating, very inspiring. Um, it's great to hear your stories, but also the advice that you give. But how do people connect with you if they want more? Where's the best place to find you online? I've got a website. It's theprestonbrown.com. T-H-E-P-R-E-S-T-O-N-B-R-O-W-N.com. And it links to all my social medias. I give all of this stuff away for free. I think if somebody wants to go get in shape, they can go outside and they can run on the beach or run on the levee or run wherever. I mean, the gym is free. If you just go outside and take a run, you've got a free gym, right? Made by God. Now, some folks say, hey, you know what? I want coaching. I want this. Hey, go to my website. There's a form. You can go check that out. Like if you want, if you're not the person that wants the free gym, you want the personal trainer, hit me up. We'd love to help you. Love to serve you. And I, I promise you it's, it's possible. You can have the life you watch on TV. Everyone can. So go ahead and go to theprestonbrown.com so you can connect with Preston. Preston, it's always great to hear you speak. You have a wealth of knowledge. You are so generous with your time and your experience and you've just helped so many people. So for all of that, I thank you. And I thank you again for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. And I hope you have an amazing day on purpose. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave a review on iTunes, I promise I will read every single review. If you know someone who makes a full-time living from part-time work, and maybe this is you, please visit lifestylesolopreneur.com to nominate a guest or to nominate yourself. Because remember this, money doesn't buy happiness, but money in the hands of a happy person, there is no greater tool. Today's episode was brought to you by the Get Shift Done program. It's a lifestyle-changing online class to help you define your business and lifestyle ambitions and to set goals in a way you've never experienced before. This class will 10x your daily productivity with methods that will blow your mind. And if you use a coupon code podcast, the class tuition is 99% off. Visit GetShiftDone.com to enroll today.